I'm genuinely sorry that this series is over. I have thoroughly enjoyed. I've never talked through uh, through Nehemiah before, and so this has been uh, been been fun for me. I do want to expound on one thing that uh, that Matt was talking about uh, with Arlington Community Services when he first threw the challenge out there for a thousand pounds of food. I was like, no, we could do that. Like that's not hard. So I'm wanting to go get all of the the canned goods. I, I, in my mind, I'm thinking, I'm thinking we, we can get to a thousand pounds, right? Like it, you just go, you go buy the heavy stuff, all right? And you go buy the heavy stuff and then you bring it in. And then Allie, Allie sends me because look, I don't go to the store. Like I, I'm not the guy that goes to the grocery store in, in our family because when I do, you know, we come home with like beef jerky and we come home with, uh, we come home with like fruit punch and we, co- we come, I, I come home with fun stuff. You know, when she goes to the grocery store, we come home with actual Food, and uh, and so so she sends me. She I, I texted her and told her I was going. I I was actually cooking dinner, and so I was going home and was uh, um, and was going to uh, going to cook dinner for her that night. And so so I said I'm going to the store. She goes, Oh, why don't you pick up some things for for church next Sunday? I said, Okay, I can do it again. Canned goods, bricks, concrete. That's that's what I was going for. And uh, and and she sends me this this list. Now, mind you, Matt's going to kill me. Um, I don't read the bulletin. And so like, I get mad when y'all don't read the bulletin, but I don't read the bulletin either, okay? And so uh, here I'm wanting to go buy concrete and bricks and, 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 and cinder blocks and things like that. She, she sends me a list with like, like, like instant pasta and like, and, 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 and like instant potatoes. And I'm going, well, that's not heavy. Like, I can't afford to buy in bulk, you know, that, that kind of stuff, you know. And so we wind up doing it. And, and as I'm, dri- this, this is so me, as I'm dropping it into the box, I go, I hope this makes a dent. And I, I throw it in almost 1,200 pounds. I love it. And y'all did instant potatoes and things like that. I love it. That's fantastic. Y'all keep, keep doing it because here's what's happening, okay, is that, that we, ha- we get the opportunity when we meet physical needs, it gives us the street cred with, with people to be able to help meet their spiritual needs that they don't even know they have. All right. They've been trying, and I'm reading through the Paul David Tripp book, uh, New Morning Mercies, on, um, as my devotion for this year. And, and we were talking about uh, this week, we, we're, we're talking about... Um, uh, having that 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 credibility, meeting meeting the the needs of of others around us, you know, meeting our own spiritual needs, and uh, and and talking about how in 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 each one of us there is a void that lives within us that is that is meant for God and for God alone, and we keep trying to fill that void with other things, and we keep wondering why that stuff just continues to not fill up that space that was designed specifically for God. And so people out here are trying to fill their lives with all kinds of stuff. And, and they wonder why when their lives are in complete shambles because they've tried to fill it with, with alcohol or with drugs or with sex or with whatever it happens to be on that given day. They wonder why it just generally doesn't satisfy when Jesus is the only one who truly satisfies. So when we meet physical needs, it gives us the credibility to be able to say, listen, we've been, for many of y'all, we've been in your, in your position. We've been searching and we've tried all this other stuff. And some of y'all can testify and say, man, have I tried it, right? You know, and you realize that this is just not, uh, this is just not making it. And then all of a sudden for the believers in the room, you met Jesus and you realize he's been here this whole time. Why, why didn't I come to him sooner? I don't know of anybody who has trusted Jesus as Savior, who has said, said I wish I would have waited just a, a little bit longer. And so we, when we do things like this, it's not so we can pat ourselves on the back, talk about what a great church we are and what a, what a, uh, you know, what a blessing it is for this church to be in this community. 
it's so that we say our God is a big God and he does incredible things, supernatural life-changing things through what little bit we offer. What a privilege. That's not even the sermon. Uh, Nehemiah chapter 12, we're skipping an awful lot uh, because we got things to do. Uh, we, there, we got things that are going on. And so uh, we're going to catch you up a little bit today. Um, and so we, we ended with, with Nehemiah chapter 6. We delved, we kind of just dipped our toe into chapter 6 uh, last week. Spent most of our time uh, in, in chapter 3 and chapter 4. And really not even getting in chapter 4. We spent in chapter 3. Uh, and a bunch of names. A bunch of names. And do I regret preaching it? No. Did I, did I enjoy saying all those names at the time? No. Okay. Uh, but now we realize that God does incredible supernatural things through even, even the most what it deems to be insignificant person. Every name in scripture means something because God chose to use them for his glory. Okay, with that said, we're in Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 12 today. Now there's one chapter after that, and we're going to explain why we're not going to get into that chapter today as we close out uh, this series, because you just can't get to everything. And so um, we're going to spend as much time together in this as we can. Uh, we're going we're to walk through it together. Um, I love America. I am, I am unashamed. I am, I, am, I am a lover of this country. This country is not perfect, uh, far from it. Um, uh, there's days that, that we just flat as a country can't get it right. Uh, we argue over, over all kinds of dumb stuff. Uh, and then we argue over a lot of really important stuff either. And, uh, and, but, but I think the one thing that we can all admit to is that, that, our, our, that our country, while beautiful and wonderful, our government is completely and utterly broken some days. And, and right, you know, and, and so, which is why we don't place our trust in horses and chariots, but we place our trust in the name of our God, right? But let me tell you one thing I love as a red-blooded American, I love it when we put patriotism on the front burner uh, for the entire world to see. And one of those days that we do that is on inauguration day. And I have a photo uh, of inauguration day uh, uh, that should be should be coming up behind me. This is, uh, this is Inauguration Day 2009, okay? Doesn't matter if you voted for the guy who's getting, who's getting inaugurated or not. Um, that, that's not the point of this photo. But look at all those people. Do you think all those people voted for the guy that's getting, that's getting, uh, that's, that's getting you know, inaugurated, being installed into office? Probably not. I've always wanted to go to a presidential inauguration. Now, mind you, it happens on January 20th. Okay, uh, every four years, uh, and the president is sworn in for a four-year term of office. Look at the National Mall. So, so what you have in the foreground is you have you have the steps of the um, of of, of um, the Capitol building, and, it, and the, the National Mall goes all the way back, and you can see uh, the Washington Monument in the, in the in the background, right? And down along each of the sides of the National Mall are the various Smithsonian museums, and in the middle you've got. Uh, you, you've got this whole green space uh, that is full of people, uh, what deemed to be millions of people that have come and look, and it spills outside the mall into traffic and all kinds of and all the. Can you imagine if you were the dude or the lady in the very back who is like standing in the shadow of the Washington Monument? We are probably closer to the Capitol building than that person is, like right now. Why would anybody, and I don't know if you've ever left Florida in January, it's cold everywhere else. It's 80 degrees here, I'm li we're living the dream, we're in flip-flops and, 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 uh, and you know, American flag swimsuits going to the beach. These people are cold. 
and it's dreary, and sometimes it rains, and sometimes it snows, sometimes it sleets, and it's nasty, and it's ugly. Why do all those people go to a presidential inauguration? I think it's because as an American, you want to be able to say you were there when history was made. We all want to be a part of history, don't we? I was at the Jag Stadium a couple, a couple weeks ago when, uh, for the, uh, the unlikely playoff win over the Los Angeles Chargers. And with six minutes left in the first half when we were down 27 to nothing, I was cold and I was tired and I was punchy and I was mad and I was frustrated. Um, stone cold sober, which was unlike everybody else around us. But, and I was thinking, why, why am I here? Why did I pay all this money to come watch this nightmare? But I didn't leave. And I got to watch one of, I, as a matter of fact, I looked at Ali, I said, it was about seven or eight minutes left in the game when it was really looking like we had a real shot at it. I looked at the completely smashed people next to me and I said, we're going to win this game. They, have, they don't remember I said it. I called it though, but I looked at my wife and I said, I said Ali, I said, I said we're going to win this game. And I, I kept saying over and over my mind, I'm watching, in, in, in TIAA Bankfield, I'm watching history being made. Nobody can ever take that away from me. Now, we lost the next week in the playoffs, so sad. But I think all of us on some level want to be a part of history being made. What you, what you see in chapter 12 is they dedicate the walls. The people of God are watching history being made. What we find in chapter 12 is in this dedication, it, it's going to be chronicled by Nehemiah. And can you imagine, can you imagine Nehemiah? God places a dream within Nehemiah. He, cre he creates this plan. He works the plan. He sees the walls that have been built and he gets to stand back. And he's going to wind up becoming the governor of this, of this area. But he's, he's going to stand back and he's going to watch as the Lord dedicates these walls. They're going, to, they're going to dedicate these walls to the Lord, but the Lord is there amongst them. And we're going to look at just how in just a moment. We're going to see that, that generations from now, generations from this place in history, people are going to continue to talk about all that God did in the 52-day process of rebuilding the wall. How do I know that? Because it's been 20 500 plus years, and here we are still talking about it to this day. It's interesting, though, that the walls were, were finished at the end, kind of the end of chapter 6 and the, <clears throat> the beginning of chapter 7. But it's not until chapter 12 that we see the dedication. Why? Well, you see in chapters 8 through 10, uh, actually gives us a picture of, actually 8 through 11 gives us a picture of, of why we don't see the dedication uh, un, until, until this point. In chapter 8, in chapter eight Ezra, I'm going to kind of catch you up, all right? Chapter 8, uh, Ezra is going to read the law of Moses, all right? And it says in, in, in uh, Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse 9 that the people of God wept. Now, mind you, they had come out of uh, captivity, seven decades of captivity. They had come back home. Uh, the temple was ruined. The, uh, the walls were broken down. The whole place was ransacked. They, they're, they're, for so long, even after they had come back, their attention had been focused elsewhere. The whole reason that they were sent into ca captivity in Babylon is because they had strayed from God. 
And even after they came back and, and were somewhat restored to God, they were, became preoccupied with just living life. And they forgot the reason that they were living to begin with. So the Bible says that when they heard the law of Moses, they were reminded of their sin and they wept. In chapter 9, we see that the Jews confess their sin, right, in verse 1. And so the, here they were, they were fasting in sackcloth. They put dirt on their heads. It was a sign of being overcome with emotion after hearing the law of Moses. And then their mourning was moved into action as they separated themselves. They, they actually went, because they, had, they had, had conjugated with, uh, with, with pagans that were all around them. Some of the people that were, that were lobbing insults and trying to stop the walls from being built, the, the, the Jews had actually conjugated with these people, had actually had kids with these people, and were actually beginning to worship their gods. After hearing the law of Moses and being so overcome with emotion, they separated themselves from all of that. And they confessed their sin, so they read the law, and then they confessed it to the Lord. Then in chapter 10, they make covenants to the Lord, promising to love and to serve him only. Can I ask you, while we're kind of in this part of the history lesson today, do you not see your own life a little bit in this? You know, you wonder why you're feeling destitute. You wonder why you're feeling separated from God. You're kind of on an island outside there by yourself. And then all of a sudden you hear the law of God that he reads to us. You're reminded of the depth of your sin, but then God shows you the depth of his grace and you confess your sin and are restored to him. Church, that's grace. That's the beauty and the majesty of when God shows us his mercy, but then, but then floods us with his grace. Back, to, back to, to reality. All of these wonderful promises that they're going to make to God, I'm going to love and I'm going to serve you only, yeah, they'll break all those. And they'll go back, they'll go their, their own way, right? And Isaiah 53 tells us that each of us turned his own way. All right, we've all gone astray. Each of us, we've all turned our, our own way, but the Lord laid upon Jesus the iniquity of, of us all. In chapter 11, the Jews come back and they, they've, they've, they've gathered, almost like a real a field of dreams moment. If you build it, they will come, right? So they built the walls and then the Jews from, who are part of the diaspora, who have been, been scattered all over uh, because of, of Israel being just torn apart, the Jews return home and they begin to gather and they populate in nearby towns. And so for the first time since the Babylonian captivity, the Jews finally set roots and they make life, their, their lives again. All right, you're caught up. So here we are in chapter 12 and I want to show you today's big idea before we read verses 27 through 47. The big idea today is this, that a, a dedication is not something you schedule. It's something you experience. And I love, and, and please hear me, I, I, I love, you know, camp meetings, and I love when we say we're putting revival on the calendar today. Okay, we're going to have a revival. All right, you can have a camp meeting all you want to, but revival doesn't happen until God swoops down and people in mass repent of their sins and turn to Jesus Christ. All right, dedications like this, you can build buildings out the wazoo here on this campus, and you can dedicate them. But a, ded a true dedication to the Lord is, is not a dedication of a building, it's a dedication of a people. All right, and that's what we're going to see here today. We're going to see less about the walls, but the walls represent something. And we're going to see what the walls represent. So why don't we read uh, verses 27 through 
uh, 47 to, together today. Um, there are names, don't be afraid. I'm gonna read them, at least, at least try. Y'all pray for me now. Let's start reading together. Uh, Nehemiah chapter 12, verse 27. And at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites in all their places to bring them to, the Jeru- to Jerusalem to celebrate <coughs> the dedication with gladness, with thanksgiving, and with singing, with cymbals and harps and lyres. And the sons of the singers gathered together from the district surrounding Jerusalem uh, and from the, vid- from the villages of the Netophathites, also from Beit Gilgal and from the region of Geba and Asmaveth. For the singers had built for themselves villages around Jerusalem and the priests and the Levites purified themselves and they purified the people in the gates uh, and the wall. Underline that. That's important. That the, the, the priests went by and they purified these things. That's important for us to remember because that's a, a critical part of God bringing revival is purification. He said, then I brought the leaders of Judah up onto the wall and appointed two great choirs to give thanks. And one went south to the wall, or on the wall to the dung gate. And after them uh, went Hoshiah uh, uh, and half of the leaders of Jerusalem and Azariah and Ezra and Meshulam, Judah, Benjamin, Shemaiah and Jeremiah. And certain of the, uh, of the priest's sons with trumpets, Zechariah, the son of Jonathan, son of Shemaiah, son of Madaniah, son of Micaiah, son of Zachor, son of Asaph, and his relatives, Shemaiah, Azarel, Milali, Gilali, Mai, Nathanel, I keep wanting to say Nathaniel there, uh, Judah and Hanani, with the musical instruments of David, the man of God, And Ezra, the scribe, went before them. And at the fountain gate, they went up uh, straight before them by the stairs of the city of David at the ascent of the wall above the house of David to the water gate on the east. The other choir of those who gave thanks went to the north. And I followed them with half of the people on the wall above the tower of the ovens to the broad wall and above the gate of Ephraim and by the gate of uh, Yeshana. Uh, and by the fish gate, and by the tower of Hananel, the tower and, and the t- uh, the tower of the hundred, and to the sheep gate, and they came to a halt at the gate of the guard. So both of these choirs who gave thanks stood in the house of God, and I and half of the officials with me, and the priests of Eliakim, uh, Messiah, uh, Miniamin, uh, Micaiah, Elioenai, Zechariah, and Hananiah with the trumpets, and Masaiah, Shemaiah, Eleazar, Uzi, uh, Jehoanan, Malchijah, Elam, and Ezer. And the singers sang with, Jer- with uh, Jezrahiah as their leader, and they offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced, for God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and children also rejoiced. And the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. That's an important thing too, that, that people could hear from all over the joy of Jerusalem. On that day, the men were appointed over the storerooms, the contributions, the first fruits, and the tithes to gather into them the portions required by the law for the priests and for the Levites according to the fields of the towns. For Judah rejoiced over the priests and the Levites who ministered. And they performed the service of their God and the service of purification, as did the singers and the gatekeepers, according to the command of David and his son Solomon. For long ago in the days of David and Asaph, there were directors of the singers, and there were songs of praise and thanksgiving to God. And 
all Israel in the days of Zerubbabel and in the days of Nehemiah gave the daily portions for the singers and the gatekeepers. And they set apart that which was for the Levites. And the Levites set apart, set apart that which was for the sons of Aaron. All right. May God bless the reading of his word today. Um, two things I want us to look at, and this won't take long because a lot of today's message was prep to get us to this point. Uh, but I want us to look at what dedications mean. You haven't dedicated anything yet. Uh, you're, you're still in a period of waiting. You're on this timeline. I'd love to be able to say, you know, look at all the things that God has already done. And God's done plenty of things through Fort Caroline Baptist. But you are still in a period of waiting. You're waiting on a new pastor. You're waiting on a vision to be cast. You're waiting on a mission to accomplish that vision. So today is not about saying, this is where Fort Caroline Baptist Church is today at this moment. This is about saying, this is where Fort Caroline most likely will be if you continue to be faithful to God and move forward. You one day will be dedicating a building and hopefully, God willing, will be dedicating a people to God in the days, years, months, um, days, months, and years to come. Two things I want us to see from dedications today. Number one, that dedications generally lead to praise. Why? Because you're not, when you dedicate something, you are proud of it. They were proud of the walls. When you build a building and spend millions of dollars to build a building, and this is kind of the closest thing we have in church life, when you build a building, you're proud of it. Like the last thing you want to do is spend millions of dollars and, and then when it's all said and done, you know, you're going to open it up and go, yeah, this is really average. You know, I, honestly, I really don't like it. I don't think I'm going to pay for it. The bank will say, no, 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 that's not true. Uh, you will most certainly pay for it or the, or the bank will own it. Dedications spring forth out of excitement because something has happened. You want to remember this day forever, whether it's inauguration day or whether it's at the, at, you know, the Jags game. It's something that you want, a dedication is something you do so that you remember something that comes out of it. So three things we see that come out of this particular dedication. Look at verse 27. It said, at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness with thanksgiving, with singing. But then, then uh, skip down to verse 30. Once they, they, you know, they're all excited. And that, that's the easy part. Getting excited is the easy part. Verse 30, it says the, the priests and the Levites first purified themselves. They purified the people and the gates and the wall. Church, when, when God is working, when he's working in us, when he's working in his church, and you naturally fix your gaze on his beauty and on his majesty, it automatically shines a light on how ugly our sin is. If you're truly dedicating to God, you are going to dedicate because he is holy, because he is righteous, because he is beautiful, because he's merciful, and because he's worth it. And when you do, there's going to be for the believer an overwhelming desire to not be as ugly on the inside as sometimes we can be. And we know that if we, will, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness. But look at what the priests did. It was very important that the priests were overcome with gladness because they saw all the good things that God has done. And as they gave him praise, right? Thanksgiving and praise. 
They were overwhelmed to, to purify. We have some friends that are coming over to our house for dinner tonight. Uh, and so we were, Allie and I were talking about dinner on the way uh, uh, to church, which I'm, I'm all for talking about dinner at all times a day. But Allie said, said, you know, well, you know, some things we probably need to do. Um, I took a, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm cooking a, uh, a pork tenderloin uh, and uh, it's still currently frozen. <laughs> it's, it's, it's rock hard. Um, so we're going to have to work on that when we get home. But Allie said, you know, we've got some things to do. We need to clean up a little bit. I said, are you serious? Like, if they love us, they're just going to come in and be here, regardless of, of whether, you know, our clean laundry basket is sitting there or my shorts from three days ago are still hung over the, uh, you know, uh, over the, the end of, of my snuggy chair. <laughs> and Allie said, no. She said, we're going to clean up. You don't know why? Because we don't want our friends seeing us living in squalor is what, is what, what she wants. When you dedicate the house of God, you automatically want to clean up before the guest of honor arrives. Church, the guest of honor ain't you. It's the Lord. And don't you want to do the most you can for the Lord? If you're going to invite him in, doesn't mean you're perfect. I mean, God help our friends if they open some of our closet doors. Because if I'm in charge of cleaning up, we're going to shove a lot of stuff into closets. But you want to clean up as much as you can. doesn't mean it's perfect, but it means that you give it the old college try. Now look at verse 31. It said, Then I brought the leaders of Judah up on the wall, onto the wall and appointed two great choirs and gave thanks. The choirs are going to be important here in just a moment. These two choirs are full of God's people, and they go up into two groups to proclaim the Lord's goodness and his providence. They're going to, and you can actually, if you've never been to Jerusalem, you can actually walk along the top of the wall. Um, I've walked, as you walk through the Muslim quarter, I actually walked past uh, two Muslim guards wearing black hoods with eyes cut out of them and carrying AK-47s. Now, I'm not allowed to carry a firearm uh, in, in, in Israel, which felt really strange, by the way. All right. But you can walk along the top of the walls all the way, or for the most part, all the way around. These choirs go up on the wall and they move from gate to gate until they had completely encircled the city. And they gave thanks to the Lord for all the obstacles that he moved to make this possible. Right? They moved in the heart of a pagan king to grant Nehemiah the ability to go to Jerusalem to rebuild. He gave them protection as they built from the people that were jeering them. They were throwing death threats. Part of what we didn't get into in chapters 4, 5, and 6 is that they were throwing death threats at Nehemiah. These, these guys that, were, that started off by just by making fun of Nehemiah and the, and the Jews actually began to offer death threats to Nehemiah to try to get anything they could do to get them to stop. God provided wisdom for them as they worked and provision for them as they labored. And so these choirs are walking up and they encircle the city. And that's an Old Testament thing, right? We see other places where, where people walk around to try to claim a place for possession from the Lord, right? God told Abraham to walk around the promised land and the Lord would give him the places that he walked around. Joshua and the Israelites walk around Jericho. That's the more widely known story, right? They walked around Jericho once per day, around the walls of the city. And then on the seventh day, they walked around seven times, blew the trumpet, and then that old children's church song lyrics rang out, right? And the walls came a-tumbling down. Remember, when, when Nehemiah first arrived in Jerusalem, 
that first night, what did he do? He took a perimeter ride of the wall. He, he rode as far as he could, and the rubble prevented him from being able to make it all around the city. Now, the rubble was gone, and the singing had begun. Dedications generally lead to praise, but gen- dedications also generally lead to sacrifice. Skip down to verse 31. We're skipping the names. You can thank me later. So we see that, that the, the choirs would, would come together, right? And so, so these two choirs, they come together, and they would assemble finally. Um, after they had walked around, after they had sang, sang they would go into they would go into the temple. It was, I don't think that was choreographed. It says they gathered in the house of God. Look at verse 40. Chapter 12 and verse 40. The two choirs that were giving thanks then proceeded to the temple of God. Something wanted, now understand how, how the Old Testament works, right? They, that they didn't have the Holy Spirit living with them the way that you and I have, the, for the believers in here, had the Holy Spirit living within us, right? We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. They didn't have that. The, the Holy Spirit, had, the, or that, that God's presence, the, the glory of God, had a place, and it was in the, the most holy of holies within the temple, which is where God was. And so as the choirs are singing, they were overwhelmed with this desire to be near to God. And so what do they do? These two choirs, they go down and they go into the temple and they began to praise God. And then Nehemiah went in with them. What did they do? They went into the temple, they sang, they rejoiced, but then we see that they also sacrificed. Look at verse 43. And they offered great sacrifices that day and they rejoiced, for God had made them rejoice with great joy. Let me tell you what you can do. You can stand up on this stage and I can preach to you rah-rah sermons. I was taught how in seminary. I can, I can get amens out of you from one up, up one side of the, the aisle and down the other. I know how to do it. But if it's not something that's offered by God, that he impresses into the hearts of his people, it's not not a sermon. It's a rah-rah self-help talk. God placed within them the desire to rejoice. And it said they offered these sacrifices of praise. They abdicated their natural desire to take the credit for the walls being built. Who wouldn't want to do that? Look at what my look at this part of the wall my, this, that my family built. We built it. Look at all the things that we've done. And yet they give it to God because it was only by the hand of God did any of this happen. How do we know? Because before God placed the desire within Nehemiah to go to Jerusalem, the Jews were just fine living amongst the rubble. It wasn't until Nehemiah got there and said, look at, the, look at the trouble we're in, that their eyes were opened and they were shown a vision of how things could be. They were content to live within the ruins of their former glory. And so the Lord pricked Nehemiah's heart and the story began. Church, what about us? What does that mean for us? We've read about the Jews, but what does that mean for us? Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 15 says, Through him, Jesus, 
Let us continually offer a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Let me tell you, we don't have to go into the temple to offer God sacrifices. Every time we abdicate our desire to give thanks to ourselves for the good things we've done and we offer it up to God who places that desire within us to do good works, we're offering God a sacrifice of praise. And so thanks to Jesus, who's our high priest, he went into the holy place on our behalf to make things right between us and God. And so now on the other end, we offer God sacrifices, not of doves or of goats or of lambs or of calves. We offer sacrifices of praise as we say, you are the one who is holy. You are the one who is righteous. You are the one who is beautiful. And anything that is good within me is only there because you, God, placed it there. And so Paul told the Romans in Romans chapter 12 in verse 1, he said, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Folks, you can spend the rest of your lives spending in the ruins of your former glory. But church, maybe God is calling you out of those ruins, calling you to salvation. You've never trusted Jesus as Savior. And yet he extends his hand of grace out to you and he says, he says come to me all of you who are weary and heavy laden, I'm giving you rest. Rest for your souls. And maybe you've answered that call. You've trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior that he wants you to turn away from the ruins of your former life and allow him to do a major renovation in your heart, in your life, in your family. Maybe as a church, you see the next chapter coming. And maybe there's a temptation to, to look around and say, we're not going to let it change. We're going to keep it all the same so we can remember the days of old. Can I encourage you today? Nearly 2,500 years after these walls are, were dedicated, we are still talking about them. Dr. Robert Smith, who is a distinguished professor of theology at Beeson Divinity School in Birmingham, Alabama, said you will never know the success of a moment until that moment becomes a memory. You'll never know the significance of a moment until that moment becomes a memory. Church, what if this is the moment that, that your kids and grandkids and great-grandkids are going to look back and say, it was because of the, of the faithfulness of those who went before us that we are even here today. When you call a pastor, when you rally around his leadership, when you look to God, when you dedicate whatever building you're going to do or whatever ministry you want to start, and you give it to God, you sacrifice and abdicate your desire to receive praise and you allow God to take all of it. How beautiful and perfect is that? When we were dating, and I'll finish here, and we, we gotta tie things up. 
when Allie and I were dating, she was in a wreck on Southside Boulevard, right on the off-ramp, um, right before you get to Bay Meadows. She had come off of 95 and had gotten onto Southside. And, and when she got off on Southside, um, she, uh, the traffic was stopped at Bay Meadows. And so she stops. Um, and she did, she's a very good driver, uh, mostly. Um, <laughs> she, uh, she stopped. She, and traffic stopped quickly. And so she stopped quickly along with traffic. The vehicle behind her chose not to. Uh, and piled into her vehicle. Now, thankfully, she was driving a 1991 Ford Taurus, um, which was built like a tank. And so she was fine physically. And after her dad and I kind of looked her over and made sure she was good, uh, we moved on. Do you know that that was 2001, 2002? Do you know that, that to this day, 20 years later, every time I slam on brakes in traffic, she looks in the rearview mirror to see what's coming that's going to hit her because it was such a traumatic event. And I tell her, I said, baby, you can't do anything about those people. What people are going to do, what they're going to do behind you is what they're going to do. If you spend your life looking into the rearview mirror, you're never going to see what's happening in front of you. Good moments, bad moments, happy moments, sad moments. They're worthy of a glance. Like I always check it when I have to slam on brakes, I check the rearview mirror. But the majority, 99% of my gaze is out the front windshield. So I don't run headlong into something. I don't know what pain you've endured in your life that causes you to stare into that rearview mirror. Can I tell you something? You can't change any of it. It's happened. It's done. But you can change how you respond to it today. You'll be getting a new pastor one day. He needs a church that is going to be willing to place its focus out the windshield and not in the rearview mirror. Sure, good drivers glance in the rearview mirror, and I'm a good driver, so I do that. But that's not your focus. Your next pastor needs a church that sees what's going on around them and is ready to tackle them for the glory of God. He'll have a passion for the work of God, and he's going to need people that are going to jump in and do the work alongside of him. And maybe just one day, maybe, you're going to have a dedication service of your own. Maybe it'll be a building. Maybe it'll be a people. But your faithfulness will be something God can use to advance his kingdom for his glory and for your good. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for loving us. And we thank you for your serving us. God, it should be us serving you but yet you serve us. You offered Jesus the very best that you had that we might not have to be eternally separate from you. God, if there's somebody in this room today that's never trusted you as Savior, I pray that they would place that faith and trust in you today and they would go and they would speak to Matt in the back at the end of the service and they would tell him, I've placed my faith and trust in Jesus. What next? Father, I pray that you would do great things in this people, for the believers that are in the room today, that they would know your sovereignty and your beauty, and they would rest in that. And as they wait patiently but expectantly for their next pastor to come, may they be preparing their hearts to do a great work and offer you the praise and glory for it. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.